Thank you, Evan. Appreciate you all uh, leading us in the music this morning. That last song and that last refrain, You Are Good, needs to echo through our minds and through our hearts this week and this year to be reminded of the goodness of God. Earlier this week, I got an email from a manager of a Christian radio station in Columbus. I'm still on his mailing list, and he always says some interesting things, which is why I've stayed on it. And this is what he wrote. He wrote, at last, my workday was over. I hit send on my final email and looked forward to harmonizing with my lazy boy recliner. Suddenly, a news item flashed across my monitor. The new year just began, and you're already behind. That would get your attention. Quickly, I sat up wondering, what? How? It turns out that WGSN, the world's leading consumer trend forecaster, had officially announced the 2023 color of the year. And, in a very condescending tone, the announcement said, chances are your wardrobe is woefully outdated. With unflinching confidence, the notice introduced the hot new look for 2023. Are you ready? Here it is. Digital lavender. So I was curious, so I went and I found WGSN's webpage, and here's what they say. The soft pastel exudes serenity, stability. It connects to holistic well-being. This shade poses that much-needed cautious optimism and escapism that people are craving post-pandemic and even in times of budget crunch. And it's imaginative and creative, but also speaks of hope and balance. That's a lot to put on a color, folks. A whole lot to put on a color. But I want you to notice, I'm wearing it. So you all need to be, you know, uh, serene and stable, and, uh, and, and I bought this shirt before I knew that it was the color. My wardrobe isn't hopelessly outdated. I'm so encouraged. Well, at least one shirt isn't anyway. Entering 2023, there are a lot more important and critical things than a color, and whether our wardrobe is in sync with what the trends are or not. Most of us don't know, none of us know for sure what this new year holds. When Peggy and I were entering 2022, we kind of knew, but we hadn't experienced yet the joys of working our way through Medicare. Some of you have experienced those joys. Some of you, that's still ahead and you have my sympathy. That just goes to show you that we don't know what this new year holds. This new year may mean that you get a new job. May mean that you lose a job. This new year may mean that you relocate to a new house or a new city or even for some of you a new country. This new year may mean some of you become a parent or become a parent again or maybe in this new year, you have to learn how to parent your parents, which is another challenge that comes. This new year will bring, undoubtedly, for some financial challenges. I mean, you look at what the stock market's doing, what inflation's doing, and it can be pretty discouraging, pretty daunting. 
For some, it may bring the challenge of uh, of financial blessing. You may receive funds you didn't expect, and you've got the challenge of now, what do we do with these? For some, the new year may bring a challenge of how do I give back to God more faithfully? Or as we talked about last week, how do I learn to spend time with God and in His Word? The new year may mean stepping into a new ministry for some of you, or maybe into a missions trip, which we're working on planning some of those. I don't know what the new year holds, and neither do you. But I do know that there are challenges ahead for us. And so this morning, I want us to begin a new study in one of my favorite books of the Bible, the book of Joshua. And I've entitled the study, Purposeful Pursuit, because that's what I would like 2023 to be for myself and for all of us, a purposeful pursuit of what God has laid out for us, investing our lives, making a difference with our lives in this new year. Now, later in the series, we'll kind of take a step back and look at some of the background to the book. I'm not sure exactly when, but this morning I wanted us to jump right into the book because we are on the second Sunday of the new year, but, you know, New Year's Day Sunday hardly counts. So this is kind of the the first Sunday of a new church year, and what better place to begin than in Joshua chapter 1. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles or on your electronic devices to Joshua chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 9. And in these opening verses, we can identify some bedrock truths that will help us with purposeful pursuit in this brand new year that lies in front of us. The first bedrock truth is simply that God-given challenges are ahead of us. It's what we've been talking about. There are things ahead of us that we may or may not know that are going to challenge us. If God hasn't taken you home to heaven yet, and the fact that you're sitting here or watching online probably indicates that you're still here, God has an assignment for you. He has something He wants you to do in this year. It'll be appropriate to your abilities and to your age, to what limitations you may have. But if you are still here, God has something for you and for me to do. And for Joshua, it's pretty obvious. God says to him, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. So there's God's command. Arise, go over, take the land of Canaan as your homeland. Get up and go. Because God's plan has to be carried out. The goal when Israel left Egypt some 40 years before, was that they would work their way into the land and they would conquer the land of Canaan. But sin and rebellion on Israel's part derailed that timetable. And so they ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Those 40 years have now come to an end. And if you were to go back into Deuteronomy, the 30 days of mourning for Moses' death have come to an end. And so it's time to take up the challenge that God is laying before them. And 
that new generation of Israelites led by one of the two men left alive from the previous generation, Joshua, are to enter the land. It's time. And so God gives Joshua this challenge, and the challenge is not only to enter the land, but to conquer it. And look at the challenge that is laid before Joshua, verses 3 and 4. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Now some of those names may not mean a whole lot uh, to us without looking at a map. But essentially, God says, Joshua, that desert, that wilderness that you just left, that's your southern region. To the north, Lebanon, that's going to be the northernmost region that I'm giving to you. To the east, your land will go as far as the Euphrates River and to the west, as far as the Mediterranean Sea. It's a massive area of land. And Joshua is told he should move out and take it. Annie O'Hare McCormick was a journalist for the New York Times before and during World War II. In fact, the first woman to win a Pulitzer Prize. And she visited with world leaders, and the, the story that I found, I haven't been able to, to completely verify, so you can take this as historic fact or as just a, a nice story that's told about her. But as she visited with some of those world leaders, she asked them the same question. She asked them, how did you get where you are? When she asked Mussolini that, he puffed up his chest and said, I came. When she asked Hitler that, he got a faraway look in his eyes and he said, I was sent. When she asked Franklin Roosevelt that question, he laughed and he said, well, somebody had to do it. And that's kind of where we are with Joshua. Somebody has to lead Israel into the land. And God puts his finger on Joshua and says, you, arise and go and lead these people into the land that I am giving you. But I am sure in Joshua's mind and certainly in our mind when God gives us a task like that, we are aware that problems and obstacles must be faced. And those, those problems, those obstacles can seem overwhelming at least three are identified right here in these first two verses. The first is that Moses is dead. In fact, whenever I read these verses and God says to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead, I always think if I were Joshua, I would have said, thanks a lot for reminding me of that. You know, like I need to be reminded that the big guy is gone, the lawgiver, the one who led Israel to freedom out of Egypt, the one who had led the nation for 40 years is gone, and he's left behind really big shoes. And when I was studying this, I thought about uh, Prince, now King Charles, coming to the throne of England after his mother has ruled for more than 70 years. She left big shoes. She left a long shadow that she'd cast, and certainly everything he does, I even saw it with his Christmas address, Everything he does is going to be held up against what his mother did. Now imagine you're Joshua, and you're supposed to step into the shoes of Moses. What a daunting task that would be for him to do. 
And in these opening verses, Moses is mentioned four times by God. But I don't think Joshua is intimidated by that. Because if Joshua wrote most of the book, and I think he did, Moses is mentioned a total of 57 times in the book. Joshua didn't bury the memory of Moses with him. He looked at Moses and what he had done and said, okay, I'm going to move the people forward. Moses is called three times in this chapter, the servant of the Lord. He's called that another ten times in the book. Joshua doesn't get called that until the end of the book. Joshua is called here Moses' assistant. He was Moses' second in command. And Moses had mentored him, and we'll talk a little more about that later on in the series. But he had led Israel into their first battle with the Amalekites. He had gone up the the side of Mount Sinai with Moses. He'd been in the tent of meeting with God with Moses. He had been through many of the experiences, and yet he's not Moses. And that's okay. Because God doesn't call him to be Moses. God calls him to be Joshua. And so he needs to come to grips with the fact, and he seems to in the book, that he is called now simply to do what God has called him to do. And things are going to change now. Because Joshua is going to lead and and circumstances are going to be different. But the important truth is that God's work doesn't stop simply because leadership changes. And Israel needs to understand that. And the reality is that as we as a church move ahead, maybe in 2023, maybe not, we don't know, there will come a leadership shift and change. But God's work doesn't stop. We continue on as Moses passes off the scene, but Joshua steps in. So that's the first obstacle Joshua faces. The first problem that he faces is that Moses is no longer there and he's the guy now. Another problem that he faces is that he's called to take all this people into the land. Two million plus people into the land of Canaan. I mean, I I think 500 plus of you are hard to lead sometimes. Can you imagine two million? And yet that's what God is challenging. That's what God is calling him to do. And the reality is Joshua knows something very well, just like I do about you and about myself and about Israel and about Joshua. We're all sinners. And that adds to the challenge. In fact, Joshua has watched close up how the last generation treated Moses and how they rebelled against what God wanted them to do and didn't do it. And that can't have been encouraging to Joshua Nor was it probably encouraging for him to hear God say to Moses in Deuteronomy, Behold, you're going to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after foreign gods among them in the land that they're entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. And Joshua's thinking, great. And I get to lead them? This is going to be a wonderful experience. Now most of that failure to follow God occurs after Joshua's life, thankfully for him, but he doesn't know that. The third significant challenge is that he's got to take them over this Jordan, and we'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks, but the Jordan River right now is at flood stage. 
It's a mile wide and 10 to 12 feet deep. How do you get 2 million people across that river? And when they cross that river, it's a declaration of war. They're going to be fighting from then on. And so Joshua faces obstacles, but those obstacles have to be overcome because God said, arise and go. And so the very first bedrock truth that we see in this passage for our purposeful pursuit is that God-given challenges are ahead of us. Whether they're health challenges or financial challenges or family challenges or work challenges or challenges in ministry, whatever they are, they're out there. And yet God has called us to move ahead in his plan. In fact, as Joshua stands at the bank of the Jordan with all of those people, he knows one really important truth. God put him there. And I want you to understand this morning that God has put you right where you are as well. He has placed you in the job that you're in. He's placed you in the home that you're in, in the neighborhood that you're in, in the family that you're in. He's put you here in the state of Michigan, and he has entrusted those realms of influence to you and to me. And he has tasks for us to do in this new year, and there will be obstacles and problems, but God has called us to arise and go. And some of you may feel a little like Israel. You may feel like, you know, I've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. I come from this history of brokenness, or I come from these times when I was disobedient. And yet God still says, repent of any of that, put it behind you, and go. Go in my strength to the challenge that I've laid out. Arise and go. God-given challenges are ahead of us. And if the past seems overwhelming or the obstacles and the challenges ahead seem overwhelming, then verses 3 and following are for us. Early on, we already read those verses. There's the challenge. This whole region is to be taken as I promised to Moses. You're to go in and do it. And then God says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. And that introduces us to the second bedrock truth, which is that our faithful God is with us. That God never calls us, He never shows us a plan, what He wants us to do without promising us and carrying out the promise to be with us. So in 2023, we can be assured of the fact that our faithful God is with us. We can be assured of the fact that God's promises are certain. In verse 6, God introduces to Joshua kind of the grand scope of redemptive history. He reminds him that he swore to Israel's fathers, that would be Abraham, to give them the land. If you do the time frame, you understand that that promise was some 500 years before this, which is a good reminder to us that, that God's promises aren't always kept on our timetable, and that his timetable sometimes seems very long from a human perspective, but it isn't in his eyes. But Joshua is reminded 
that I promised back with Abraham. I also, he said earlier, I promised to Moses, now you, Joshua, are going to fulfill it. You are going to go in and you are going to cause the people to inherit the land. That is critical in redemptive history. Because the land is necessary so that there can be a nation, so that there can be a king named David, so that God can make promises to David that ultimately will be fulfilled in the Messiah who comes in fulfillment of that earlier Genesis 3 promise. So Joshua plugs into the promises of God in the grand scheme of redemption, and God says, I am keeping these promises. In verse 2, I am giving them the land. In verse 3, the land I have given to them. It's an interesting shift of verb tenses. I am giving, present tense. This is happening. You're going to do this, but I've already given it. It's already accomplished in my mind. It's already done. It is certain. You will fulfill what I have said you are to do. I'm giving you the land, and you will divide it, and nobody will be able to stand in your face All the days of your life, you will accomplish the purpose that I've defined. Now, does that mean Joshua never had issues, that Joshua never lost a battle? No, we're going to see that that happens. But ultimately, Joshua moves ahead because God's promises are certain. And by the end of Joshua's life, this is what he says to Israel in chapter 23. And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. I'm going to die. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. He says it three times because he wants them to grab a hold of the fact that God's promises are always kept. Maybe not in our time frame, but they're always kept. God keeps his promises. And one of those promises is that God will never leave us. No one will be able to stand before you, he says. But then he says, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. The word for leave is I won't drop you. I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to take you across the river into the land and say, oops, sorry, Josh. And I will not forsake you. I won't abandon you. In 2023, there will be people who will let you down. There may be people who will abandon. They will walk away from you. But God never will. He keeps his promise. He says to Joshua, just as certainly as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. And that's interesting because if you think about it, how did God meet Moses? with Moses. Very often, face to face, right? How did God assure Israel of his presence with them in the days of Moses? Well, there was this big pillar of cloud in the daytime and pillar of fire at night. You know what happens when we get to the book of Joshua? Joshua rarely meets God face to face on occasion. And the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, they're gone. And yet God says to Joshua, I'm going to be with you in the same way, not in the same manifestations, but the same God. The same God would go with him into the land because God promises that. Little girl was talking to her friend one day in her room and kind of bragging, saying, I have $10. 
And her friend looked over at the desk and said, I only see a $5 bill. You only have $5. The little girl said, no. My daddy promised when he came home tonight, he'd give me $5. I have $10. Would that we would grab a hold of God's promises in the same way and say, I already have this because my father God has promised. And he always keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. He will not leave us. So therefore, we can do what God has called us to do. Verse 6 is kind of a hinge verse in this passage. Other than verse 2, when God says, get up and go into the land, most of verses 1 through 5, the verbs are descriptive of who God is and what he'll do. Beginning in verse 6, they become commands, imperatives. As God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous, he's going to say that three times. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Joshua, I have promised you and I will be with you, so you need to act. You need to be unshakably bold and move out and tackle the challenge. I love what Warren Wearsby says. He says, the promises of God are a prod, not a pillow. In other words, the promises of God aren't something that we just kind of lay back and take it easy. The promises of God prod us to move forward. Yes, we rest on them, but we do what he's called us to do because we know that he's faithful. So the bedrock truth that we need to grab a hold of is that our faithful God is with us. As you're reading the first five verses of Joshua, indeed, as, as you read the whole book, you might be tempted to write across it, change, because everything's changing. Leadership's changing. Region is changing. Methods are changing. But you know what we really need to write across these verses and the book? God doesn't change. Because while everything around Joshua seems to be changing, the one thing that is constant is the faithful God who is with him and with us. And God doesn't tell Joshua how he's going to take the land. A little later, he'll give him a few battle plans. But you know, if I were Joshua, you know what I'd want? All right, here's the first campaign that you're going to do, Joshua. You're going to go in to Jericho. You'll take Jericho. Here's how you do it. When you're done with that, you can move over here. God doesn't do that. You know why? Because we don't live based on plans. We don't live based on those kinds of things. We live based on the promises of God. So let me remind you of a few this morning. Matthew 28, Jesus says, I am with you most of the time. No, always to the end of the age. 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. If any of you lacks wisdom, boy, you feel that entering a new year often. Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all those things that you need, God will take care of that. They'll be added to you. John 16, Jesus says, I have said these things that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart. 
I've already overcome the world. 2 Peter 3.13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Or John 14, 2 and 3, Jesus says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you, and if I go away, I will come again and take you there to be with me. Or Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. There are promises all through the Scriptures that we can rest on, that we can cling to, and great faith comes not based on our abilities or our resources. Great Faith comes when we rest on the great faithfulness of our God, on His presence and on His promises. And this morning, if sitting here in the worship center or watching online, you don't have a personal relationship with this God, then I want you to understand that the presence and the promises of God only apply to the people of God. But the good news is you can become one of those people. And it means that you recognize that you are a sinner and you need a Savior and you run from your sin to Christ and what He did on the cross. And you ask Him to forgive you of your sins and to to change you from the inside out, and He will. And then the presence and the promises of God apply. You can know this God personally. Our faithful God is with us. Which leads us to the third bedrock truth in this passage not only is our faithful God with us with his presence and his promises but God's written word will guide us to victory God has given us everything we need to succeed he's given us the promise of his presence he's given us the other great promises now he says I'm giving you my word that will guide you and allow you to accomplish what I've sent you to do and so Joshua needs to understand and you and I need to understand that God's word must be obeyed so for the second time in the passage God says to Joshua only be strong and now very courageous being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Be strong and very courageous. What does that mean? It means to be boldly confident. Where does that come from? Well, God tells Joshua, by being careful to do according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded We're strong and courageous when we do what God has called us to do. And the Word of God is authoritative. Joshua only had five books, the five books of Moses. We've got 61 more that guide us and help us and give us promises. And it's interesting to me that though Joshua met on occasion with God face to face, what God says is going to be foundational to his success is his obedience to the written word. So those scrolls that Moses wrote, those first five books, those weren't just religious artifacts to be locked up in the ark and carried around. They were to be studied and learned and obeyed by Joshua. How much more for those of us who have 66 books should this book be what we study and learn and obey? And obedience is the key to completing the assignment. You'll have good success 
That doesn't mean prosperity gospel. The idea of good success is essentially you'll be able to handle life. Wherever you go, which harkens back to everywhere your feet step, I will give you. Joshua, the key to accomplishing a successful end in the goals and the challenges that I've given you is to obey the word. Obey what God has told you through the books of Moses. Don't go off the path to the right. Don't go off the path to the left. Follow what God has said. The word of God must be obeyed. But to obey the word, it has to be absorbed. And that's what God says in verse 8. He's not simply repeating himself, though he repeats several phrases. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Now, I read some commentators that that means Joshua is supposed to be speaking it, and I suppose that's part of it. But I really picture it as Joshua is supposed to, to take it in and chew on it. He's supposed to chew it over and think about it and then meditate on it, which means to murmur. It's kind of an undertone where you're speaking it to yourself and do this all the time, day and night. Why? Same phrase from verse 7, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Joshua, absorb it. Take it into your mouth and chew on it. Mutter it, think about it, murmur it, talk about it to yourself. And as I'm thinking about that, I thought about, you know, your kids, mine are too old for this, but some of you with younger kids, maybe, you know, because it was Christmas, you let them eat what they wouldn't ordinarily eat, and they got a lot of candy and stuff like that, and that sugar just, they're bouncing off the walls. Or maybe it's you, you know, after you've had that fourth or fifth or tenth cup of coffee or that can of Mountain Dew and the caffeine hits, and, and it gets absorbed into your system, and that's the picture, saying, Joshua, allow the Word of God to be absorbed into your life so that it's reflected in how you live and how you behave. And he uses that phrase again, good success at the end. You'll be able to handle life, but he adds to it. Notice, you will make your way prosperous. Literally, you will accomplish the intended thing. You'll complete the assignment that God has given to you. And so the third bedrock truth is that God's written word will guide us to victory. We've got to obey it, and to obey it, we've got to absorb it. We know a lot of what God wants us to do in 2023 because it's right here. God wants us to spend time in this so we know what he wants. God wants us to love our spouse if we're married. God wants us to obey our parents if we're still under their roof. God wants us to be part of a church where the gospel is preached and taught. God wants us to serve other believers and to serve in our community. God wants us to share the gospel. We know all those things. So if we start doing what we know and not going off to the right or the left, we can trust him to direct us into the rest of what 2023 holds for us. And we need to know and absorb and obey the word so that when the pressures and the challenges and the obstacles come, and they will come in this new year, what comes out of us is affected by the fact that we've taken in the word of God. And so we respond to those trials and those struggles biblically and righteously and like Jesus. Challenge 2023, I, I don't know what your challenge is. I know what Charlie Brown's was. He says, I'll never be a big league player. 
See, and I, I, it's why, probably why I resonate with Charlie Brown. I always wanted to be a pitcher, but God had a different plan. I just don't have it. All my life I've dreamed of playing in the big leagues, but I know I'll never make it. Lucy says, you're thinking too far ahead, Charlie Brown, with her usual encouragement. You need to, what you need to do is set yourself more immediate goals. Immediate goals? Yes. Start with this next inning when you go out to pitch. See if you can walk out to the mound without falling down. Can I suggest to you they both have it wrong? Charlie is setting his goals that he wants. Now, he's a cartoon character, so we can forgive him. Instead of saying, what does God want? And Lucy is saying, I can tell you what's wrong. You're just incompetent. So she's not very encouraging. What we need to understand is that this book of Joshua, these purposeful pursuits, the book may be called Joshua, but it's not really about Joshua. It's about Joshua's God. It's about what Joshua's God says to Joshua and the assignment that he gives to him and how that faithful God brings him through the challenges in spite of the obstacles to the point where at the end of his life he can say not one word failed of all that God said. And so God wraps up this whole passage thinking about the challenges and the faithfulness of God and the written word of God that leads us to victory with verse 9. Have not I commanded you? Yes, arise, go, take the land. Be strong and courageous. There it is for the third time in these nine verses. Do not be afraid. Don't be dismayed by the obstacles. For the Lord your God, and the Lord there is Jehovah, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God of Israel, your God, your God, personal, is with you wherever you go. So you can summarize this passage pretty much this way. God's command plus God's promises and presence plus our obedience equals challenges met. And I don't know what those challenges are this year, and you don't either, but God does. And he's faithful, and we can trust him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have promised never to leave us or forsake us so that we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what people can do to me. I will not fear the future that's ahead of me because you are with us and you are our God. Lord, I would pray that if there's anyone watching or here in the worship center that does not know you personally, that they would be stirred up by your spirit to want to know you through Jesus. And I pray for the rest of us that we might be encouraged to face whatever is ahead of us in this new year, knowing that you will never drop us or abandon us. And we know that because of the cross and Jesus in whose name we pray, amen.